So here's today's transformational truth. Tradition doesn't always equal truth. Welcome to the Transformational Truth Podcast, where we're committed to eliminating the obstacles that take the joy out of life and leadership. Today's guest is Zach Maldonado. Zach is happily married to his wife, Grace, and they, along with their pug, Horace, live in Lubbock, Texas. Zach is currently pursuing a doctorate's degree of ministry in apologetics at Liberty University. He is also the author of The Cross Worked, Perfect and Forgiven, and Jesus is Better. He speaks at churches and events all over the United States, and he has a passion to proclaim the new covenant message of God's grace. He holds a Master of Arts in Theology from Fuller Theological Seminary, and you are going to enjoy this interview. So here's today's transformational truth. Tradition doesn't always equal truth. Sometimes God's heart towards creation has been misrepresented and misunderstood. And in general, I don't think this is intentional, but rather the result of sometimes tradition being handed to us as truth, when in fact, according to Scripture, it, it wasn't. And the fallout, of course, is that ultimately it impacts the way we relate to God, to ourselves, and to the people that matter most in our lives. And helping us unpack this idea today is Zach Maldonado. Zach, welcome to Transformational Truths. We're really honored to have you today. Thank you, Travis. And I'm honored to be here and excited to, to talk today. Awesome. Well, I couldn't wait to get to this interview today. Uh, Zach, you, you recently wrote a brand new book called Jesus is Better. I love that title. It's theologically rich and it is full of truth. But can you take a couple of minutes and tell us a little bit of your story and what led you to write it? Yeah, I mean, burned out, tired and weary. That was my experience with my version of Christianity um, at two different points in my life. And really, when I was in college, I was feeling this and I didn't want I didn't know what to do. I wanted to be intimate with God. I wanted to feel him. I wanted to be set free. I wanted the abundant life, but nothing was working for me. Um, and I didn't know what to do. I mean, I, I remember uh, driving home after preaching to some students and, and my students had been asking me all these questions. And I, I remember driving home thinking, what would happen if I just fell off the face of the earth? Would, would anybody care? And mm. so, so you mix in, you mix in um, not feeling like I'm not enough and feeling depressed, but then looking to God and feeling like he wasn't enough. And it wasn't, uh, it wasn't some crazy uh, revelation that immediately just changed my life. It was really um, a myriad of truths that I began, began soaking into. It was really, if, if we're honest, it was just the gospel. Mm. It was the, it was the good news that I had missed, uh, or maybe not even maybe I had missed, but I had glossed over thinking it was just merely for beginners and that I had moved on and that there was something deeper or whatever. Um, and so, uh, that, that was really, the conflict. And so what I talk about in this book is really my journey of discovering a few things. And one of it was the new covenant, which Travis, I know we have a passion mm. for, um, and unpacking what that looked like. Um, and really, you know, 
people can hear Jesus is better and go, oh, that's just a kind of a cliche sort of Christianese book. But really um, what I'm arguing for is if your version of Christianity is not setting you free, then it's not the true version. If it's Mm. not bringing you rest, then it's not the true version. Um, Jesus promised us rest for our souls, not one day when we die. You know, we say rest in peace all the time, but God promised us rest today. And then he said, you should know the truth and the truth will set you free. And if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. So freedom and rest is what God has promised us in the new covenant. Um, And so the book of Hebrews talks about this in another way. It says the new covenant has better promises. It's founded on a better hope um, and and it's more excellent. And so is your version of Christianity, is that how you would describe it? Or maybe you were like me and you would describe it as weary and tiresome and mm. burned out. So that's just a little bit of why I wrote the book. Mm. Well, that's excellent. You know, Zach, I was 18 years old when I put my faith in Christ. Um, I was handed a, a one-year Bible. My dad handed me a one-year Bible when I put my faith in Christ. It was a one-year New Testament. And I read that probably for the first three, four years of my my journey with Jesus. And then I graduated, you know, to the full one-year Bible version. And so every year um, I had read through the scriptures um, from cover to cover, uh, beginning at the age of 18. Uh, and yet it wasn't until um, I was 42 that I had finally heard the gospel. Wow. And, and I had read the scriptures front to back. And the reason I kept missing it was because of the lens I had been handed. And I was always reading the scriptures through a very traditional lens, and, and nobody ever took the time with me, not intentionally, it wasn't intentional, but to say, here's the good news. God is a covenant God, and we live on this side of the cross. And so being three years old in this journey for myself, um, my spirit resonates with everything you're saying, and I can appreciate it. I've walked, I've walked that path with you. Uh, and so, yes, hearing the good news, hearing the gospel, as you say, let's talk about that for a second, because when you use the word gospel, that's an interesting word, isn't it? It's a biblical word. It's a word most of us who have been brought up in church, we heard it a lot um, and used it a lot. You know, I, I even remember before discovering this concept of, of God being a covenant God and living it in the new covenant. I mean, you used to say it all the time. You know, I've, I've been preaching the gospel for five years. I've been preaching the gospel for 10 years. And you know what the sad and sobering fact is, Zach, is one day when I finally heard the gospel, and and learn hermeneutically how to rightly divide the word um holy smokes i realized something i hadn't preached the gospel once wow um at least not intentionally and so it was a sobering awakening moment for me so can you talk about that for a second because i think a lot of people think well yeah okay i mean you know i heard the gospel years ago right i preach the gospel or I, i hear the gospel all the time but the truth is um the gospel being rightly divided the way it was intended to be uh, actually is not proclaimed as often as we we think it is. Talk about that for a second. Yeah. So, I mean, just at a very basic level, the gospel means good news. That's the Greek word. So um, it's not good advice. Um, uh, if a drowning man doesn't need good advice, um, they need help. <laughs> they need good news. So good news is something that has been done. So at a very basic textual Greek the New Testament Koine Greek level gospel literally means good news. And then one of everyone's favorite passage, we all quote it Romans 1 16, but none of us believes it. We say the gospel, the Paul says the gospel is the power of God to salvation. 
Um, but yet, how many times you, you, you hear the you hear all these different churches and it's all about methods and principles and, and, and tactics. And I'm all for a lot of those things. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of those things are great, but most of those things are missing the gospel. Mm. If the gospel is really the power of God to salvation, then the gospel is powerful enough to save people. The Mm gospel is power enough to powerful enough to draw people and keep people and sustain people and strengthen people and grow people. The gospel as Tim Keller has has coined, is not just the ABCs of the Christian life. It's the A to Z. It's not just the appetizer. Mm, It's the entire meal. And and so like we don't draw them in with the gospel and then then immediately throw some rules and principles on there. No, we're not preaching principles. We're not preaching three steps. We're preaching a savior. We're preaching a person. And, Mm. And that's the gospel. It's about what Christ has done for us, not what we need to do for God. It's about what Jesus has done through his death and resurrection, but even more so, you you go listen to your favorite uh, Christian radio station, and they'll they'll talk about the gospel. And what will what will they say? They'll usually say Jesus died for your sins so you can go to heaven. Well, friends, that's about ten percent of the gospel. Right? Yes, Jesus died for your sins, and yes, the new heavens and the new earth is a destination one day. But there's even better news that when Jesus died, you died with him. Mm. That when Jesus died, he didn't just forgive you of some sins, but all sins, past, present, future. He canceled the record. So God's not up in heaven writing down what you do wrong. He's canceled that record. Furthermore, when he was buried, you were buried. And then when he was raised to life, you were raised to new life. And, And this means that you're not like some old person, a new person. No, when he says you're a new creation, he means it. Not only that. He's put you in union with Christ. So religion is all about working your way to God. But the whole point of Christianity is that God worked his way to us. Mm. And so we're close to God. We're united to Christ. Uh, We're one spirit with him. First Corinthians 6, 17 says. And and so the gospel, um, if the gospel is a table, uh, it, it has four. It has really about four legs to it. One of them is the freedom we have from the law, our freedom from sin. Like we are free from sin. Yes. Sometimes it doesn't feel that way, but God has set us free. He set us free from the standards of the law. Um, Furthermore, he's given us life, not just a heaven one day, but eternal life right here and right now in the person of Jesus Christ. He's given us this new identity that's not achieved, but it's received. It's, It's an identity that is unshakable. That's all about what Christ has done for us and to us by making us new and righteous and holy. Um, And so identity and new life and freedom, and then obviously forgiveness. God has given us a Mm. forgiveness that is once and for all, as the book of Hebrews says, Um, it's not progressive. It's not again and again, Jesus shed his blood one time and it worked. It worked. Mm. The cross worked. It was enough for every single sin imaginable. And so, um, uh, as, as some people have said before, most of us only believe in a partial gospel. Um, Mm. but, but, but the rest of the gospel is about not only what Christ has done for you, but what he's done to you. And it impacts everything, um, about our lives. Travis, I know you talk about, uh, what I appreciate about your ministry is how you, how you practically play out the gospel, whether it's leadership or marriage, or just personally. And that's, that's what's so critical about understanding the gospel um, is that it does impact everything. 
Hmm. It impacts how I love my wife. It impacts how I see myself. It impacts yes. whether I'm a UPS driver or, or I'm a minister of the gospel. It impacts how I lead people and, and everything. It changes the whole landscape. Hmm. Hmm. Excellent. Let's just back up for one second. You hit on an important point that I wanted to revisit. And you said, um, you know, the gospel has set us free from the standard of the law. And somebody might be listening and saying, wait a minute, Zach, time out. Hold up now. Um, you're saying that the gospel set us free from the standard of the law. Uh, what are you saying? I mean, are you saying that I, you know, that means I can, I should just go out and live whatever life I want to without, there's no consequences anymore. It's cool. I can just do psh- do whatever I want. How would you respond to the person who sort of has that initial response, that reaction to such a, such a, such a strong and impactful statement? Yeah. So Paul obviously had to deal with that too. In Romans six, he says, what then shall we, shall we go on sinning? And then he says, what then is the law of no effect? You know, so he, he, he addresses this, but first off, I would say a few things. So one, what do you want? (laughs) What do you want? And, And people say, well, uh, I, I, I want to sin. I'm like, well, are you a new creation? Well, well yeah. I said, well, new creations don't want to sin. Now, it might feel that way. Mm-hmm. Let's be honest. But God, Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says God's working in you to desire what he desires. And so uh, Hebrews 8, the whole point of the new covenant, God downloads, he, he writes these new desires on our heart. So Romans 5, 5, God's love has been poured in our heart. Romans 6, 17, we become obedient from the heart. So what do you want? Well, actually, the New Testament says you want what God wants now, that you don't want sin. Mm. And so when, when, when you've got all this freedom and you look around and you go, what do I want? Well, you want what God wants. Right. But furthermore, being set free from the law doesn't mean a life of chaos. Instead, God has given us a spirit of self-control. Sure, there's plenty of instructions. There's plenty of behavior passages in the New Testament. And, and the distinction that we have to make is that we live godly, not in order to get something from God. That's right. We're, we're already blessed with every spiritual blessing. That's we're right. already saved. We're already forgiven. So as I say, we live from the acceptance, love, and delight of God. We don't live for those things. That's Legal, right. Legalism is saying you got to obey for acceptance. But the gospel says, no, we obey from what we already have in Jesus Christ. And, and so um, furthermore, why do we need to look to tablets of stone to, to rules when we have the person of Christ ruling and reigning in our lives, in mm. our hearts, the peace of Christ is ruling? Furthermore, why are we looking to a, an exterior guide when we have the interior guide mm. living his life through us? So Jesus is never going to lead us to sin. Jesus is never going to lead us to to a life of chaos. Sure, we're going to be tempted with those things, but Jesus in us and Jesus through us is never leading us uh, to to uh, this crazy life. People say, "Well, you know, it sounds like you're teaching grace is a license to sin." Zach, well, when I understand the new covenant of God's grace at 18, it was my first year of college, and. Uh, it didn't make me want to go set world records for sin. I, I wasn't the one partying. I was in right. my I was in my dorm room uh, studying God's word, not because I felt like I'm holier than thou or I can't. It was because no, I, I fell in love with Jesus. But yeah. here's what's crazy, Travis. When I was in high school and middle school, I believed that God uh, hated me, that He didn't like me, that any misstep He was ready to strike me down and I could yeah. lose my salvation. When I believed that, I actually spent all of high school rebelling and sinning mm-hmm. and That's setting right. and setting world records of that's sin. right 
That's but right. when I started to believe in God's love and grace towards me, it didn't make me want to take advantage of it. It made me fall more in love with Jesus. Mm. And when I fell more in love with Jesus, it made me want to do more for him, not less. It's just like with my wife. My wife's unconditional love for me doesn't make me go, huh, I want to take advantage of that and run off with someone else. It makes me fall more in love. And Travis, you know this, with your spouse, you take her out on a date, you get her flowers. You don't do those things because you have to. You do those things because you want to. So right. it, it no longer becomes this duty or obligation. And instead, it just becomes a response to hmm. what Christ has done for us. That's why Paul says it's the love of God that compels us. Or, or in Titus 2, 11 and 12, it's the grace of God that teaches us. So it's the, or Romans 2, 4, it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And so it's always God's initiative of his kindness, his love, his grace. It's never fear. It's never manipulation. It's right. never shame, but it's always his kindness and his love and his grace that is drawing us and teaching us to live out the lives that we mm. are as children of God. Yeah. So good. So good. You said at the beginning of your answer, um, the question, what do you want? And I think one of the things that we all need to learn on this side of the cross is that temptation does not equal identity. That's good. I think there's this this idea that temptation equals what you really want. It's who you are. It's not who you are. Temptation does not equal identity. And that's why I think what you're saying is so valuable. And this is already a very rich conversation. Uh, Zach, one of the topics you cover is, is how Jesus is better than religion. You sort of leaned into this a little bit already, but let's go a little bit deeper because I think sometimes people get confused when they hear us use that language because they think, well, it's one of the same thing, isn't it? Um, but scripturally speaking, it's not. Can you unpack for us why Jesus is better than religion? Yeah. So I think when we talk about religion, maybe another word would be legalism. Yeah. Um, because so there, there's one there's one verse in the New Testament that some people say, well, Zach, James says there's good and pure religion. And and really that word in the Greek is is is, is more like worship. Um, and, and so it's just our English translation of that Greek word. And so most English translations use the word religion. But when we say it, when I say it, re really, we're talking about this man-made system of trying to please God and get God accept get God to accept us and get God to save us. So it's man-made. It's all about me and what I need to do for God and my good works in order to earn acceptance or love from this God. And so it's this man-made sort of thing. I mean, you look at any world system, any, any religion today. And it's all about what you have to do in order to get God to do something for you, whether mm. it's Buddhism or Hinduism or, or Islam, whatever it's all, it's the focus of the religion is following these teachings in order to hopefully one day be enough, do enough good works. And so mm. my argument is, um, Jesus is not only better than, than, than religion and legalism, um, He's better than any system mm. uh, because he shatters that system. So religion is all about you, all these requirements. So do this in order to get accepted. And Jesus is like, no, I did. I met the requirements and here's your acceptance, mm. right? Religion is all about us working our way to God. But the point of the gospel is Jesus came and he, he found us and he worked his way to us. And then he seated us with him in heaven. So many of us are, 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 are so worried about getting to heaven one day. And it's like, nah. Like we're seated with Christ in heaven right now. Like it's, it's, it's already a reality mm. in some ways. And so um, once again, the focus of religion is, is you, but the focus of Christianity and it's, it's in the word <laughs> Christianity. It's not me, Eanity. 
It's, right. it's Christ. It's Christ. He's the focus. He's mm. the, he's the, the, the reason he's, he's what it's all about. And so, as, as I said earlier, in the new covenant, our lives are a response to what Christ has done, not something that we're doing in order to get Christ to do something on our behalf, like forgive us or bless us or give us something. Peter says, we've been given everything we need for life and godliness. Colossians 2.10 says we're made complete in Christ. And so the pressure's off, right? So the pressure's off, like the standard has been met. I'm already accepted. I don't have to prove anything. I don't have to prove anything at all. Yeah. I'm already justified. That's a nice biblical word for being made right. I'm already accepted. Mm. I've already been declared pleasing to God. And it's by grace alone through Christ alone. Right. So, so now catch this. I just get to enjoy God. Mm. I get to enjoy God as he enjoys me. And I don't think, I, I mean, I've never heard a sermon sitting in a church building about God enjoying me mm. ever. I never heard that growing up, but it, it's all over scripture. The scriptures use um, rejoicing and delight and, and all these different words. And so what would it look like um, to no longer have to perform, to no longer have to strive, but instead just to enjoy? I mean, once again, let, let's use the marital relationships because Scripture constantly comes back to this understanding that our union with Christ is like a marriage. And so obviously it's better than what we even experience with our spouses. But in the same way, man, if you're striving and struggling and performing for your spouse, go get counseling. Okay. That's mm-hmm. not how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be this, this intimate love relationship where there's this freedom to fail there's this freedom to not feel like I have to fake it or perform. Mm. Instead, we just get to enjoy each other. Any good relationship feels that way. And mm. that's what God's wanting. Like there's literally no strings attached. And, and, and most of us, even some of us who, who, who understand God's love and God's grace, we still think there's a few strings attached. But no, the strings are, there's no strings, guys. Really, it, he's after relationship. We, we think God needs something. Are you kidding me? Right. Like he, he doesn't need anything. Right. Acts says he's not served by human hands, so he doesn't need anything. But goodness, he wants us. Right. Goodness, he desires that relationship with us all. And that's what he wants. And that's what he wants us to enjoy is relationship with him. So he's good. He's not operating out of karma. Hey, do good and I'll give you good. Right. You know, do bad. That's that's really kind of the old covenant in a lot of ways. If you, if you obey, there's a blessing. If you disobey, there's a curse. And Jesus shatters that karma. Mm-hmm. And he says, no one, day one, moment one, you're blessed. And even if you do bad, you're still blessed. You're still favored. Now, mm-hmm. of course, Travis, let's, let's talk about this for a second. Are there consequences? Mm-hmm. Are there right. earthly consequences? Yes. Like if I go murder someone, I'm going to go to jail. If I'm lying and cheating, like there's consequences, right. but in, but in God's terms, spiritually, there's no condemnation. Mm. There, there's no condemnation. And so there's earthly consequences. Sure. Like that's why God wants us to live godly lives. It's not for us to get acceptable to him. It's, it's the path of fulfillment and satisfaction. He wants it says he's working for his good pleasure. Well, his good pleasure is for us to be satisfied and fulfilled. Yeah. And so that's what he's after. And so, yes, there's earthly consequences. I don't, I mean, sin is always going to make a mess of things, but Jesus has taken away our sins and he's not relating to us 
on our sin basis. And so you might go murder someone and end up in jail, but Christ is going to be in you and he's still going to be loving you. And he's still going to be for you because if you're in Christ, if you believed in Christ, he's never going to leave you. He's never forsaking you. Mm. And he's not relating to you on a sin by sin basis or on a performance basis. He's relating to you based on what he's done for you. That's why he can always be loving you. He can always be for you. And there's no condemnation left. Mm. So good. Yes, I think uh, modern. There's a modern day theologian named Richard Foster said, regarding uh, living a quote unquote holy life. He said a holy life is simply a life that works. It's it's simply it's simply you know if you if, if you have an affair, um, God won't stop loving you, but you might lose your marriage, you might lose your house, you might lose your, you might lose your pension, you might lose your relationship with your kids. Yeah. Um, and God is calling us to live a life that works and enjoy the life that that He's given us. Excellent. Good. Wow. Um, we live, uh, Zach, we live in this culture that's super driven, you know, it's a, it's a driven to succeed culture and we really reward that. Um, I'm on the clubhouse app and it's funny. Um, I'm around a a lot of different entrepreneurial voices and I hear a lot of those voices on, on clubhouse specifically, and I see them on Instagram and, um, I'm thankful there's a lot of kingdom voices that are entrepreneurs that are coming up that are sharing an incredible message that are new covenant believers. And it's exciting to see and hear that uh, nuance of the new covenant coming through uh, business leaders and entrepreneurs. That being said, um, it's such a striving, running, exhausting environment where we, we reward that. We reward you know, um, wake up at four in the morning, don't go to bed till two in the morning because essentially we're tying our value to this image of success, you know. But in your book, it is such a countercultural concept when you say that Jesus is offering us rest, that Jesus is our rest. And and you talk about that because I think a lot of, I'm talking to a lot of gifted people uh, who are striving and driving, but inside they're empty, angry, and tired. Can you unpack this idea of Jesus inviting us to rest? Yeah. So, you know, one of the most popular cars in the 20th century, the Model T didn't have a gas gauge, right? So drivers didn't know when they would run out of gas, which is why you would often see Fords on the side of the road. Isn't that wild? Right. Mm. And so they would just have to guess at how much gas they had, or they had to get out a ruler or a stick to see how much they had left. And that, that illustration describes what you were describing. It describes us we go and go and go we have no idea when we're going to run out until it just happens Mm. right and then we we take days off we have vacations we we take naps whatever and nothing seems to work and i'm a if you're an enneagram person i'm i'm a three i'm a type a on whatever like i'm a go-getter like that's my personality i'm a perfectionist i can i get it like i get that i get the temptation i get the struggle um and uh, I don't know, maybe it's a fear of missing out for some people. Maybe it is this, um, even people, I think, who understand their identity in Christ, there's still this uh, yearning of we want to get our identity in our accomplishments, in our success, in what people think about us, in a perfect Instagram profile, Facebook, 401k, whatever. Um, and goals are great and, and doing things are awesome. But what does Jesus offer us? And once again, it's not something far off in heaven. Um, I remember I was running late for a football practice and I was searching in high school. I was searching for 
you know, the most important thing in my life, my cell phone, right? Yeah. Everyone listening is like, amen to this, right? So I'm, <laughs> I'm searching and I'm seeking Heimla. I'm, I'm, I'm looking in every pant pocket. I'm going crazy. I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking everywhere. I'm tearing up everything. I'm searching high and low. And as I was about to go crazy, my phone vibrated in my pocket. And I reached in and I had it in my pocket the whole time. <laughs> And what's crazy to me is there's so many Christians who are searching high and low. They're seeking place after place, person after person, accomplishment after accomplishment for something they already have in Mm. Jesus Christ. All the significance, all the value, all the worth we will ever need is found in Christ. And that's what we have. I mean, you look at all these celebrities who are suicidal, who, who who are on drugs, who are doing all these different things. I mean, you look at Tom Brady, he, he won his sixth or seventh. I don't even know. I, I've lost count Super Bowl recently. And, and at his parade, I mean, the, the video that goes viral is him just smashed. He's just drunk. Right. And, and, and someone, oh, well, he was just having fun. Maybe. But I mean, why does he feel the need to get drunk? He just had the highest high of his life. The sixth or seventh time. And he still felt this need to look to a substance to to fill some ache in his soul. Mm. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that wild? So we think, oh man, if only we could have millions of dollars and a supermodel wife and and, and this. And it's like, yeah, look at the guy who does have all that. And look how miserable he is. Mm. And and so what Christ offers us is is not more. I mean, religion is all about more. Hey, hey, you need more of. Uh, right. the spirit. You need more of uh, this quality. You need more, uh, or even this world. You, you need more money. You need a better circumstance. You need more, more, more. We believe this lie of more. But when you come to Jesus, he says, not only am I enough, but I've made you enough. Mm. So your search for being enough is over. Your search for being enough is over. So we see this passage in, in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. He doesn't, he doesn't invite people who have it all together. He doesn't invite people who, who have been reading their Bible a lot or churchy people. He invites mm-hmm. us all. He invites us all. And he says, I will give you rest. He, he doesn't give us five steps to rest. He doesn't give us a fourfold path to peace. What he gives us is himself. And, mm-hmm. and what's interesting about this passage, Travis, is he's not giving us just this eternal laziness. He's actually inviting us to work, but he's inviting us to work in a new way. And he's saying, will you let me be the engine? (laughs) Will you let me be the source? Will you let me carry the load? Will you let me be your strength, your Mm -hmm. peace, your your satisfaction? And, And what I love about this passage that a lot of people glance over is this is the only place in the New Testament that Jesus describes his heart, that really any writer describes the heart of Christ. And he says, I am gentle and lowly or gentle and humble in heart. So mm. if Jesus had an Instagram bio or Facebook bio, it'd say, I'm gentle and humble in heart. When you think of Jesus, is that what you think about? That he's not, he's not pointing this bony finger. He, he doesn't have his back turned. His arms are open. And he wants to refresh you. He wants to guide you. He wants to teach you. He wants to strengthen you. He wants to equip you. He says his his yoke and his burden are easy and light. Trusting Jesus is easy and light. It's not supposed to be difficult and burdensome. Life is difficult. Life is burdensome. But Jesus is not, my friends. He, He is gentle and humble. 
And so he's not asking us to seek or to gain rest from what we achieve, but instead to draw from him. He's not merely giving us rest. He himself is our rest. Hmm. I, I love first Thessalonians five twenty four. It says he who calls you is faithful and he will surely do it. And so Christ is living this life. He, he, he's not inviting us to just do nothing. Instead, he's inviting us to recognize who we are and what we have in him, right? So the work has been done and now the works to believe what's already been done. Mm. That's what Jesus says, right? He says the work has been done. And then like, well, we'll give us something to do. He's like, okay, here's the work you need to do. Believe in what's already been done. That's right. Believe in what's already been done. So this goes back to what I said earlier. Practically for me, I wake up and, 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 and Travis, we're, we're both authors, we're both speakers, all these different things. We're pastors. And so for me, I wake up and I go, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put in a full day's work. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do things in, with excellence, but my identity is not in that. That's so right. if, I, if I fail miserably today, my identity is not in that. If mm. I succeed amazingly today, that's right. my identity is not in that. My identity is what God says. Because if he's truly the creator, if he's truly God, um, then when I disagree with him, who's right? Mm. Because my self-thoughts, people's thoughts, they all tell me I'm worthless. They all tell me I'm not quite good enough. They all tell me I'm imperfect. They all tell me this, this, and that. But God says the opposite. Masterpiece, loved, holy, righteous. And so Jesus, it says in Hebrews, is seated. And in Ephesians 2, 6, it says he has seated us. And so we've got a Martha and Mary case here. And who will you be? Will you mm -hmm. run around trying to do more and be more and, and try harder? Or will you simply rest at the feet of Jesus? Mm. Because that's where we're seated. And so God is wanting our attention. He's wanting our focus way more than he's wanting our activity. And so that's, what it, that's what it means for Jesus to give us rest. And one other thought on that. Because people, I hear it all the time. I mean, you, you got well-meaning Christians talking about growth, talking about progress. Scripture says our growth is from God. Mm. And what does it mean to grow? What does it mean to mature? What well, doesn't mean we're becoming more righteous or holy. That's already been done. Mm -hmm. It means we're just like a baby. A baby isn't more human as it grows up. That's right. A baby is as human as, it, as, it, as it'll ever get. That's right. But it learns as it grows, it learns and matures to be who it already is. Absolutely. That's, that's the Christian life. We're, we're not becoming progressively more righteous and holy in who our identity is. We're simply learning to live out of who God has made us. Yeah, absolutely. It's so good. I think that last point highlights why language is so important when you're talking about God. I honestly don't even speak anymore um, when, it, when, when I'm talking about discipleship or, you know, quote unquote, growing more righteous or growing more holy, the, the, the word grow in my vernacular has turned to mature mm. uh, because we are holy and we are righteous. And just like a newborn, as we are born again, we're just maturing into more of what we already are. I think that's such an important, important point uh, to make. Now, Zach, for a pastor, a leader, a believer who's listening and man, they're facing what feels like impossible circumstances there are a million of them. It feels like so many believers have faced so many challenges the last 17 months or so, mm. and maybe they're discouraged and they're fearful or uncertain. This last question, 
the one thing I want to leave our listeners with is, is this thought. Can you talk to us about how Jesus is better than our circumstances? Yeah. So this, this for me is, was, was one of the light bulb moments. So um, I'll, I'll tell a story to kind of illustrate. I was, I was driving to meet my dad. It was, it was the middle of the winter in Texas, which usually isn't a big thing, but we actually had snow and ice on the ground and I'm driving after midnight and I'm driving well below the speed limit. And everybody was, was flying past me. And next thing I know, I hit this patch of black ice and I, I do a 180 and I'm, I'm heading towards the ditch. And as I look um, outside my window towards the ditch, I realize, hey, there's a fence and I'm going to hit it. I'm going to be fine and I'm going to hit it parallel and it's going to be good. And literally right as I was thinking that, boom, I hit the, the metal uh, cable that, that stabilizes those wooden poles and it completely totaled my pickup. And mm. I, I was fine, not, not a scratch on me. And, and I tell this story because Paul says that, our, that Christ is our life. He doesn't say that a 401k is our life. Right. He doesn't say that perfect circumstances is our life. He doesn't say that perfect health is our life. He doesn't say that um, uh, a perfect spouse, you name it, is our life. He says Christ is our life. Mm. My circumstance, my truck was wrecked. I was fine. So spiritually, here's the thing. As I said earlier, we can we can wreck our circumstances by the choices we make or goodness, a pandemic can hit. We can lose right. a job. We can lose loved ones. Um, we can we can be in fear. All these things can happen. But spiritually, nothing has changed. Hmm. If I'm in Christ, nothing has changed spiritually. I'm still as righteous as I'll ever be. I'm still as forgiven as I'll ever be. Christ is still in me as he'll ever be. He's not leaving. He's not closer. He's not farther away. I'm still as loved as I'll ever be. Mm. So because Christ is my life, then my hope and my, and my satisfaction and my goal isn't found from stuff out there. It's all rooted in who I'm, who Christ is in me now. So I can wreck circumstances or circumstances, bad things can just happen, but it's not going to change my level of hope, my level of satisfaction um, because if Christ is really all we need, then suffering cannot rob us of that. Mm. Suffering only shows us that everything we need, we have in Christ. And, and so think about that for a second. Suffering cannot rob us of anything we have in Jesus. It, Jesus is the best heaven has to offer. Mm. And, and if we don't believe that, then, then we're going to spend our lives searching for more. Yeah. But if we believe that he, that Jesus is heaven's best and that we have him in every moment, then we've got all we need. Yeah. And so I, I guess for me, it's it's a perspective change. It's a focus change. Once again, I'm not saying like I'm all about budgeting, financing well, working hard, being diligent, setting yourself up for retirement, setting your family up, doing all those things. But those things aren't my life. Right. And I. Man, it, and I, I want to be careful because I don't want this to sound like nebulous and, 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 and anything like that. L let me put it a different way. When, when, if you do your quiet time or whatever in the morning, you don't leave Christ there with your coffee when you go to work. You take him. So, so everything is just the context by which I experience Christ as my mm -hmm. life. Right. So, so when I'm at work, when I'm on a date, when I'm playing golf, all those things are the context by which I get to experience 
Jesus. He's my life. Eternal life starts now. Eternal life, as John says, is knowing Christ. And so that, that's what it means. That's, it, it, that's what it means for Christ to be my everything, that he is mm. my hope. He is my strength. He is my all in all. We, we have something so much better than any old covenant person ever had. Um, we have Christ literally residing on the inside of us. And so his acceptance, his love, and his faithfulness to us do not depend on our commitment or dedication or faithfulness to him. He's going to stick with us. He's going to be for us. His promises are unshakable and unbreakable. All the promises of God find their yes and amen, not in how well we perform, but they find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Mm. And so no matter what happens day to day, Christ is always in us and he is our everything. So good. So good. I want to recap today's transformational truth. Tradition doesn't always equal truth. Zach, where can people find you? Yeah, so I'm, I'm on social media at Zach Maldo, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, uh, my website, ZachMaldonado.com, you know, YouTube, I've written three different books, you can get them on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or whatever. So I'd love to connect and help people out any way they, they need it. So absolutely. If you'd like to connect with Zach Maldonado, please, please check out the links we've included in the show notes. And if Transformational Truths is helpful to you, do me a favor, take a moment, go to Apple iTunes, rate the show, write us a quick review. I want to help you restore the joy to your life and your leadership. Zach, thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much, Travis. Appreciate you and your ministry.